Uh, my name is Noah Raver. I'm one of the pastoral interns here. If you don't know me yet, uh, if I haven't formally met you, please come and meet me afterwards. I'd love to meet you. Um, it is a pleasure today to share with you some, uh, I will admit, kind of weighty truths that we, we have to know. We have to, get, uh, we have to learn these things. We can't get around it. Um, today's topic is sin. We've been going through Genesis and looking at creation, the fall last week. That was a super important one last week. A lot of really, really important doctrines that we saw last week that James uh, brought us through. Uh, the doctrine of um, the fall. And today, we're just going to talk about sin. So I'm not going to talk about the origin of sin. We're not going to talk about um, the curses too much because that was all last week. I don't want to review anything that we've already talked about. James talked about uh, the temptation, the serpent, where he came from. I know that's a big question, but that was last week. So if you missed it, it is online. It should be recorded. I looked for it. And it's, it's there. They still haven't put the recording up, but I think it's, it'll get there at some point. And if not, they have notes from last week's as well, James's notes. What's up? Oh, so maybe it's not recorded. Never mind. Barry just told me it's not. It wasn't recorded. So never mind. But they do have, James has his notes out there um, from last week. Uh, so this week, we're just going to be um, looking at sin and just kind of following it through from the fall to the flood um, and just seeing what we we find about sin in those first few chapters of Genesis. And we'll kind of try to stay within just that literary context of Genesis. So it's going to be heavy. Um, so bear with me, but this is important. So let's pray and ask God for help uh, to, to see these truths as good and important. Father God in heaven, uh, we come before you. We are humbled. And Father, we are sorry our sin, even this morning, waking up, possibly sinning already in our minds with arrogance, impatience, things we don't even realize. Father, we are fallen. And Father, we are repentant and we are sorry. And we are thankful that you promised a Savior from the beginning of the very start of, of creation. And Father, we ask that you would help us to see how far we have fallen in our human nature so that we can understand how glorious the, the life, death, and resurrection of your Son really is, how glorious the cross is. Help us today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, um, if you read on this sheet, first quote, I'll start with this. Uh, again, this is an important topic. Um, it helps us to understand the cross all the more. Uh, C.J. Mahaney, riffing off of a quote originally from John Stott, said, Before we can see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith. We have to see it as something done by us, leading us to repentance. Only the man or woman who is prepared to own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its grace. 
I don't want to jump to the cross too quick today, but I don't want to leave us at sin. We have to go to the cross. So we will get there, but for now, the question is sin. What is sin? Last week we saw, like I said, James taught us and showed us in Genesis. And if you will, open with me to Genesis 3. We will be starting uh, for where James left off. The fall. But the first question, the question for today is what is sin? And I just want to open it up to you guys um, to give me just sort of first reactions to that word. What does that mean for you, that word? What kind of things does it bring up for you? Rebellion against God. Mm -hmm. Anything that opposes God. Yep. Missing the mark of perfection. Anything else? Any other feelings maybe that that word brings up in, this, in, in our context in, in the world today when you talk about sin with people? I'm sorry, could you say again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In the Catholic faith, uh, there's a separation between venial sins and mortal sins, these sins that are smaller, um, that don't quite bring you to this irredeemable, destitute state. They're just, they're, there's like a separation of, oh, this is a smaller sin, and you go and do confession for it, but then there are mortal sins that are um, irredeemable. And so often we see that as well in, in the world. A lot of people you have, oh, this is a white lie, right? There, there are certain things that seem not as grave as others, right? That's another thing that comes up too. Um, so really, really good um, reactions actually. We'll see in the Bible, if you look with me on your sheet, and I have little sections where you can write in notes. Uh, if you don't have a pen, uh, they have pens in the foyer. Thank you. So in the Bible, there are different terms for sin. Actually, that, that, that word sin is rather vague, so I just want to start by defining biblically what kind of terms we'll find uh, in the Old Testament quite quickly here, actually, uh, in Genesis, and then also in the New Testament, different terms that are used for sin. Because sin, obviously, as I said, sin brings up like, trend, like all these things. Um, so sin is actually just one part of it. So the actual word sin, in Hebrew, it's chata. It gets translated in Greek as hamartia. And it actually does mean, like you said, Nick, to fail. And in the Old Testament, we can literally see this word chata, so it means to fail or to miss the mark, just like you said. Missing the goal, missing the mark. 
You can see this word chata used in Judges 20, verse 16, in exactly that way. Not even referring to something innately evil. It simply means to miss, right? In a war against the tribe of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin gathered up 700 men. Uh, in Judges, Judges 20, it talks about them having 700 men who could sling a stone at a hair on someone's head and not chata, and not miss. So it's not always an evil connotation to that word. It simply means missing the mark, right? Or in this case, not missing. They were very accurate um, uh, soldiers. Then there's another word, though. We have transgression that was brought up as well. Um, transgression, that's the word pasha. Uh, and then in Greek, it gets translated into paraptoma. This just means to break trust with someone. Break someone's trust. To transgress against them is to break their trust. In Exodus 22, verse 9, we see this word. For every pesha, every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double his neighbor. Another word we see is iniquity, avon. This will be an important one uh, because later it is used in the actual phraseology for punishment even. Uh, so avon, it gets translated into anomia in Greek. This just means to distort. It comes from the verb, the Hebrew verb ava, which means to distort or to bend. So avon is bentness, distortedness, iniquity. We translate it often uh, in our Bibles. In Lamentations 3, verse 8 through 9, we see it's actually talking about a road that is bent. Uh, it says, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has, and this is the verb ava. He has avad my paths. He has made my paths crooked. Literally in the Hebrew, he, has, he uses that same verb, ava, to bend or to distort, to make crooked. Um, and here it's just talking about a road in that sort of image sense. But when it's referred to, but it, this word can be used, and it is used here in Genesis 3, 4, to talk about our own bentness. And that word in Avon actually gets used in the Hebrew phrase nasha avon that is often translated punishment in our Bibles. The very Hebrew concept of punishing someone is to allow them or to make them to visit their uh, avon upon themselves. Um, so, for example, in Leviticus 5.17, if someone sins and violates any of the Lord's commandments, even though he was unaware he is guilty and shall, in, in Leviticus 5.17, it says, he shall nasha his avon. He shall carry or take up or bear his own avon, his own uh, bentness, his own distortedness, his own um, iniquity. So to punish is to make someone carry that upon themselves. You've done something wrong. You have distort. You are distorted. This is this is bent, and you're gonna know it. And that's what that sort of Hebrew concept of punishment is, uh, from a literary sense. 
So as I said, last week we talked about um, the fall that was actually, there, none of these words are used in Genesis 3 in the fall, but I, I put the Greek in there because in Romans 5, he, Paul, actually looks back at this uh, story of the fall in Genesis 3, and he actually calls it hamartia. He says, by one man, sin has entered the world. He has, he missed the mark. Adam missed the mark. And he uses paraptoma, his paraptoma. So Paul actually sees these concepts within Genesis. So we see that the fall, Adam and Eve, but mainly Adam because of that federal headship, again, that was talked about last week, Adam is um, given the responsibility for missing the mark, which was a transgression. It was breaking God's trust. And it brings in iniquity. It makes the human race. Again, last week we talked about that federal headship. We're not simply guilty simply for the sins we carry about in our own lives, but we, by Adam's federal headship, by him representing the human race before God in the, in the garden, we are guilty for that transgression ourselves. In the same way, Jesus carries out uh, a righteous life and we get to be credited within that, we also carry Adam's guilt for that very sin in the garden. And now we are distorted, we have iniquity, avon. It's not a good state. So, now there's punishment. And God promised that in the fall. That he promised that before um, the fall happened. Like last week, again, they, we talked about it, that God promised, if you do this, you will die. The payment for Missing the mark for transgressing, pasha, for being bent, avon, is death. Genesis 2.17. If you do this, you will die. So there are effects to the fall. The guilt as well. The curses is another effect of the fall. Genesis 2.14-21. through 21. Separation from intimate relationship with him, the cycle of sin. We are now thrown into this avon state, this bent, crooked state, and we can't do anything but sin. Don't believe me? Hold on. We will see it in three chapters. In Romans 7.20 as well, Paul says, I do what I don't want to do. I see there is a law within me can't stop sinning. That's Paul himself that says that. But, last week, again, this is all kind of review, Genesis 3.15, there is a promise, Genesis 3.15, of a seed to come who will crush the head of the snake. So there is hope. <laughs> but, for now, That seed in this story, right? Just come with me here. Let's try not to jump too quickly to 
where the promise is fulfilled. We know it is, but for now there's a promise, and all we have in Genesis, these first chapters, is a promise. But watch what happens. They have a promise, but still, nonetheless, there are effects and there are consequences. God must visit their avon upon themselves. And so in verse 22 to 24 of Genesis 3, we read, I'll let you guys a minute to get there. Genesis 3, 22 to 24, we read, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished from the Garden of Eden. He banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. So they are banished. Their iniquity brings upon them separation. They're driven away from God. And on the back side of your, your notes, there's a little spot to take, to, to write something in there. You'll see those lines. These are principles that we're drawing out from these stories. This first principle is that bent and broken and crooked people cannot be in close proximity to the perfect God. They can't be there with him. They are broken and bent. Their avon is real. <laughs> There's this chilling story in Leviticus 10 where it's a different system. Uh, you get to the Mosaic Sinaitic system, this temple, uh, tabernacle system. So it's a little bit different system, but the principle's there, and it's chilling. In Leviticus 10, you see finally on the grand opening day of the tabernacle where God is going to live right amongst his people like he wanted to from the beginning in the garden. He always wanted to be with his people. And he finally comes, and uh, Aaron and Moses um, are doing this inauguration ceremony, and some of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Avihu, they go in, and they light some fire that God did not ask them to light. They did it most likely out of arrogance. They wanted to feel like they were doing something too, like they were participating in the inauguration ceremony. And they go, let's light some incense fire, and let's go. Let's, let's participate in this. Most likely, I believe, out of arrogance. And before they even make it into the tabernacle, they are burned up on the spot. Burnt to a crisp. It's chilling. It's a terrifying image, visual image of how serious this is. It is not okay to waltz into the presence of God with avon, with brokenness and crookedness, having transgressed. You can't do that. They didn't even make it to the tabernacle. They didn't even make it to the tent. It says the fire came out. It's a chilling, chilling image. In Genesis 3, they're expelled. They don't get to be in the garden anymore. We will see 
God continually come back to them to guide them uh, in Genesis 4. Uh, Cain and Abel come, and God, it says that God's talking um, to Cain. Why are you, um, why are you like this? You know, so God still is in relation with them. He's still talking to them, but they don't get to live in personal, intimate relationship anymore. It's different. They're out of the garden. So that's the first thing. And then we get this story of Cain and Abel, like I was saying, Genesis 4, uh, 1 through 16. We'll just go 1 through 16. Uh, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel, and we know the story. They bring offerings to the Lord. Cain worked the soil, so... In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but verse 5, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. It doesn't say he hated Cain, he just says he didn't pay attention. <laughs> he, oh, Abel, all right, cool, but didn't pay too much attention to Cain, not that he didn't love Cain, not that he hated him, but Cain was jealous. And we all know the story, he ended up killing him. And God asked him, God asked him, why are you angry? In verse 6, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And here is actually the very first time where chata appears in the Bible. That question that God gives to the Cain in verse 6 and 7. If you do not do what is right, sin, chata, is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So chata here is actually described in the very first time we see a chata in the Bible. It's described as this beast-like animal, much like the serpent in the garden itself. Very, very remnant. And it wants to devour him. It wants to conquer him. Um, again, very similar language to the fall itself. Um, where, and, and the curse between men and, and women. Um, this desire to conquer and to overrule. Again, that's relations between men and women there from last week. But this, vocab, this, this vernacular is pretty, pretty um, it echoes. The, the creation story. And we know what happens. He asks and encourages Cain to rule over the beast that wants to devour and rule over him. And we know this promise, right? In Genesis 3, there's a promise. Don't worry. You guys have to be kicked out, but there is a seed that will fix this. One of your children will fix this, Eve. It's okay. And so the, the question in these first chapters of Genesis is, who is that? Who's, who's going to be able to do that? So Cain, right? We get Cain. Uh, his, they're firstborn. And he gives Cain this encouragement. You know that this chata, the temptation to miss the mark, this 
this temptation is like, this, this chata is like a beast that wants to devour you. You must rule over it. Will he, will he not? Uh, maybe he's the seed that's going to conquer the serpent that will uh, conquer um, the snake. But we know the story. He fails. He chatas. He misses the mark. <laughs> he allows the beast to conquer him. He's not the seed. And he kills his brother. And so we see that a failure to love another image bearer of God is a failure to love God. This is also the first time we see the phrase to bear one's avon, this phrase of punishment. So he kills his brother and God says, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer wanderer on the earth. And verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment, my minsha, minsho, avon, so my avon, my, my, my bentness that you're making me carry now. Again, in Hebrew, this, this, that's literally how the phrase is, is, but God, you're, this punishment you're putting upon me, the consequences of my action are too, hair, are too heavy for me. I don't like this. God, you're making me carry the consequences of my actions. That's punishment. You are making me bear this, and I don't like that. How can I do this? How can I live like this? That's the first time we see this, this phrase of nesha'avun, this phraseology of punishment. It's more than I can bear. Today you are driving me out from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord says, nope. Honestly, that probably would have been even easier. (laughs) Die and get it over with. But almost extending it, there is a little grace in there, but it almost makes it, no, like you're going to wander the earth and I'm going to put a curse on you that if anyone kills you, they will have vengeance seven times over for that. So no one will kill you. You're going to wander. It's a hard punishment. And we see in that very punishment that Cain, what was his transgression? What was his sin? What was his failure? He killed his brother. And so we see this, another development of what chata is, what failure to miss God's mark is, what is God's goal, what is the mark that you're supposed to hit, how are you supposed to live, we see another development. Don't, right, Adam and Eve, listen to God. Don't disobey the direct commandments that he's asked you to do. I said, don't eat that fruit, that's it. Mate, you have one job to do, (laughs) right? You have one job. Don't eat that, and they did. Another development here is, he killed his brother, a failure to love, and that's, the, that's the, the note to write in there, a failure to love another image bearer of God is a failure to love God. That is chata. In Psalm 51, verse 4, we see David, after his sin with Bathsheba, he prays to God and asks God for forgiveness. Father, I have sinned against you. We see this. 
And we carry on the story. Lamech, verse 17 through 26. Cain moves on, goes his, fair, goes his separate way. In verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, Irad, the father of Mehuyael. Mehuyael was the father of Methuselah. Uh, Methushael, Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, etc., etc. Zillah also gave son to Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives in verse 23, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77. Hurrah. Another development in Chata. Missing the mark. Pasha. Transgression. What a sad story. Again, we're looking for that seed in Genesis. Who is going to conquer the snake? Who's going to fix this problem? Wasn't Cain? Cain's sons? No, not Lamech. For the first time in the Bible, we see the very first case of polygamy. Verse 19. Now he's taking two wives. Not just one. And if you were here last week, the creation of the world started with a man and a woman. And Moses put a little, he put a little um, parentheses in the very text itself. The writer of Genesis, in the midst of this creation story, said, and this is why, by the way, the creation of the man and woman, this is why father shall leave his mother and wife, and his mother, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. This is marriage. This is why people get married to one man and one woman. Lamech? didn't obey. <laughs> Lamech brought it one further. I'm going to take another wife. Too. And not only that, so we see first case of polygamy, we also see him killing someone and boasting about it. Well, if God gave that curse to, to Cain, which he knew about, and sort of protected him in a way, and said, well, Cain, I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to put a curse on you that whoever actually kills you will be avenged seven, seven times over, well then, protect me all the more, God, because I just killed a, another guy. Like, I'm, I'm even worse, and that's a good thing, because grace will abound. You don't get it, Lamech. That's another principle we see. A new development in Chata is delighting in sin. Delighting in it. Not only... failing to miss the mark, but now we see people okay with it, delighting in it, trying to rig the system. Romans 6 comes to mind. <laughs> if God always forgives, and if he's such a loving God, and if Jesus died for our sins, right, this is Romans, after the fact, way, way, way down the road, then why not always sin? Why not just keep doing it? We know God's forgiving and loving, right? 
No, no, no. If you were there at men's retreat this weekend, you are not made. You were either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. And you were bought with a price. You are now an heir of the eternal throne and, and, and that's not for you anymore. It displeases God. Why would you want to? <laughs> if you know and love God, it's a tragic, tragic development. It's just getting worse and worse. This cycle of sin, it's getting worse in Genesis. Who is this seed that will conquer the snake? And then we move on to chapter 5. And there's a genealogy, and we all know um, there's a structure in Genesis, this Toledot structure of genealogies that kind of separates the eras. Here we see one. But there actually is something here to see in the development of sin and the effects of sin and, and, and this concept, even within this genealogy. I'll give you guys a few moments to try to find it. I want to see if someone can. What can we find in this genealogy about sin, its effects, the sadness of Chata Avon now being very real in the world? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. That's right. You want to say that again? Yeah. I think that's, that's what I'm seeing as well. Adam and Eve were made to live with God. And there was no death. Tree of life. And they're taken out of the garden. They're not allowed to live forever. God said... If you do this, you will surely die. And the devil, speaking his native language of lies and distortion, said, no, you won't. And I imagine right after they ate the fruit, he was probably like, told you, see? You're alive right now. You didn't die. God lied to you. God's the one that's lying. He's holding back on you. <laughs> see? You're fine. No, you're not. Death, in a figurative sense, is you don't get to be with God anymore. Look at this cycle of sin. It gets worse and worse and worse. But now we see God was right. Look at how long people are living. Adam, verse 3, skip to verse 5. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years. Seth, Skip to verse 8. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. Kenan, verse 14. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. Verse 17. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years, and then he died. 20. Altogether, Yared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. Verse 23, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and he was no more, because God took him away. 
Thanks, God. I needed that. Verse 27, altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. Right back into it. <laughs> verse 11, Lamech, altogether, or sorry, verse 31. Thank you, yeah, sorry. Verse 31, altogether, Lamech, lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. Died, 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 dead. God did not lie to Adam and Eve. (laughs) And it's so sad. Yes, they lived a thousand years, but what is a thousand years they lived generally a thousand years back then. We could look at that and say, what? well, they had it nice, my goodness. What is a thousand years next to eternity? This is tragic. <laughs> Praise God for Enoch. I don't know what was going on there. Go read Hebrews 11. But the view we get is sad. This is not what we were made for, brothers and sisters. Why do we think this is okay? Another, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're getting there, yeah. I know, oh my goodness. Yeah, so that, that principle, I just wanted to bring out of the genealogy. I, I love that, because that brings us into the next section. And I don't want to talk about it too much, because next, the flood's coming. But just here, just seeing this development of chatav, sin, of pasha, transgression, of the weight and crookedness of our avon, right? That... The next principle here in this geology is that death is very real. That, that last thing to write in there, death is real. In the very literal sense, it is real and tragic. <laughs> and then, yeah, we get to Noah, and it's just by this point, yeah, that genealogy bookend ends it, and now here we are. <laughs> Genesis 6. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful. They married. Uh, the Nephilim on earth were on earth in those days. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> it honestly, that's, that's kind of part of it, honestly. There are two different ways that I've understood this verse could be uh, translated. Um, the sons of God could have been uh, people maybe who were believing, Enoch-type people that were that were believing in the promise to come, right? They didn't have the Bible back then, so these people were believing in the promise to come, to come, so in a sense, they were the Christians of the day, and it says that it could have been that they were, you know, marrying people who didn't care about this promise to come, the promised seed, so that means they were kind of, again, leaving this, the fold of, of this promise to come, right? Because in the New Testament, Christians are called the sons of God, right? So it could be that, well, they were leaving the promise and marrying people who didn't care about it, right? So that kind of intermarriage, which is sad. That is 
again, just another image of how bad it's gotten is like, I mean, you had Enoch who walked with God faithfully, but now here in Genesis 6, we see other Enoch-type people that did believe in the promise are giving up on the promise and just marrying people who didn't care about this promise. That could be one way to, to translate it. It could be also, I've heard, uh, angels, fallen angels coming down, which again, if that's true, it's still, what a horrible image. This is where we've gotten now. Even angels are coming down and being distorted and avon, and like avoiding, bending the whole rules and the whole structure of how God made things. It's just not, not, in each case, it's just not good. But that's a whole other uh, side topic. But really, yeah, it's, it's not good on either case. But we see in verse 5, and this is what I want to get to, um, like you said, Isaac, the Lord God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. I'm going to pause right there. Don't read on. <laughs> Let's sit in this for a sec. The human heart is evil. Romans 1 to 3 echoes the same thing. No one gets away in Romans 1 to 3. <laughs> you who've never heard of the law, you have creation, you have all these things that you know God is real. You're guilty. You who follow the law, you are hypocrites. You don't even follow it yourself. No one gets away. We see the lifespan of humans is limited even more. In verse 3, then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Here we are now. We have a rare, I don't, I think I've heard of one rare, a few rare cases of people who've lived like 121 or something. Like, but generally, we, we, even, we live even less. This is tragic. So I just want to open this up right now. And again, I'm sorry. I, I didn't choose this. They gave it to me, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul made me do this, okay? He, I, this is a hard topic. What do you guys think about this view? Uh, the question here on your notes, what hope is there? If the story ended here, what would be your reaction? Remember the seed. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. That is the only hope. At least at this point in the story, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry, so 
really, really good contrast. As it's saying in the first chapters, God is rejoicing. It is good. Look at what I've made. Man, it is good. And here he regrets what has happened. Not to say that God was taken by surprise. They're using human language. But yeah, that, that contrast is, oh, it's gripping. What about verse 5? The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Is that right? Is that a correct assessment? Really? Sure. Mm. Well, actually, that begs the question then, what about us? I mean, we didn't, we're not living thousands of years. Yeah, Isaac was saying, if you didn't hear, I mean, back then, we were living on generally thousands of years, right? Like, so like thousands of years of living in this cycle of chata and avon and wickedness. Uh, you can imagine, sure, I mean, by, by the time you're a thousand years, you're just gone, completely irredeemable. But like, yeah, what about us? Is that a correct assessment in our day even? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually, yeah, that's interesting. So it's almost like God is, yeah, I'm not going to, God even says I'm not going to contend with these people forever, yeah. Almost a grace in and of itself, yeah. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, one of the songs we'll be singing today, uh, I was doing the slides, is Only a Holy God. Cry out, sing holy, only a holy God. Man, <laughs> I'm going to weep probably at that song because, yeah, let's not compare ourselves to others. We're comparing ourselves to a holy God. Again, that, that Leviticus 10 image is terrifying. <laughs> it's like... What, what did they do? The verse is like they, they offered an, uh, a foreign fire and then they were burned up. It's like two sentences. And you're like, whoa, dude, what is going on? And you see like the heart behind it. He cares about the heart in which you do what you do. I mean, I don't care. Like, you might be praying for, for me, 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 for example. Let me, let me show you how, how twisted and how avon we are. Me. Oh, my goodness. I can compare myself to others and say, I went to Bible school, and I did this, and I did that, and I pray. Okay, but when I pray, I'm praying for, for example, it's just praying for someone to change. The other week, God changed their heart. Help them see the truth. 
And I came to a realization through God's help and someone speaking into my life, <laughs> uh, a faithful brother, to help me realize that I was praying for them to change for myself so that my relationship with that person would be better and more comfortable for me. So even my prayer for them to change and for God to help them see the God's honest truth, that's just true. But like, what? And this, this faithful brother that I thank God for helped me realize, Noah, wh what if they never change? Or what if they change way down the road when you, I don't know, you, not even in their lives anymore? Are you praying for them to change for you? Or for God's sake, so that they truly do understand better God's, uh, who he is? And man, how often do, do we rec realize, like, our avon is deep. Adam and Eve, when Adam, when Adam and Eve sinned, it broke everything. It broke it. We have this law within us. Our, our, our avon is, is, is natural. No one's born perfect. We're all born infants crying for attention for ourselves. Oh my goodness. So what is the hope? And this is where we'll stop. The flood's going to come. And we'll see that last principle of, of Romans 8 even. Romans 8 says the creation itself groans for the return of Christ. Sin has not just broken us. It's not just made us unable to choose good. Every thought and inclination is evil in our own selves without the spirit of Christ in us, without regeneration. We don't even, we can't choose to do good. But it's not even about us. The creation itself, the earth itself is marred by this avon, this iniquity, by our pashar, transgression, and it brought about a worldwide flood that destroyed the earth. I mean, and we have the curse as well to Adam. Roots grow now. It's hard <laughs> to work. Work is, is hard. There's pain and childbearing. Like, but the earth itself even, the planet, roots now. Like Even the earth is like, uh, this was not what it was made to be. It's so sad. And the flood will come. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. The question is, why do you think God extends that punishment, that visiting of man's avon, bentness upon them, onto creation as well?
Go ahead, Perry. Bless you. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are good responses, yeah. Maybe both of us at the same time, so like that, because we are taking dominion, that's where I would have would have went as well, just initially, yeah. Hmm. Sure. Yeah, there's that that reversal of the order. Again, that was last week, just talking about what the fall was, the reversing of the order, right? Um, God, man, like physical male, woman, creatures, right? And then you have um, that reversal of the order, sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's all an image of how deep sin has gotten and how, how great its effect is on this world, on our hearts, um, and it's tragic. It is tragic. But there's hope in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I'm sorry, Paul. I know you said talk about sin. Just talk about sin. But no, he didn't tell me that. <laughs> he didn't say not to talk about it. I have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, just stick in it. Stay in it. But we have to because, again, that quote, before we can see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith and rejoicing, I could add, we have to see it as something done by us, leading us to repentance. Only the man or woman who is prepared to own his share, prepared to own, nasha my avon, to carry my consequences for my actions and to own it. To own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its grace. There is hope. He said earlier, why live? There's a promise. <laughs> Even back then, brothers and sisters, and someone knew, Enoch, Hebrews 11, Enoch wasn't perfect. He, he was marred by sin just as much as anybody. But Hebrews 11 unlocks it and says, by faith, Enoch walked with God. He knew the promise. He didn't know what was going on, but he knew God said there is someone that will fix this. I'm not it. Lamech is not it. Cain is not it. Someone will. Man, he must have believed well. He says he walked faithfully with God, so praise God. Even back then, there was a promise. James talked last week about these two covenants there's a way to look at the Bible where there's this covenant of, yeah, covenant of works and covenant of grace. Covenant of works with Adam. Adam do this, but he didn't. And so there's a promise. He failed to obey the commandment of God to not eat the fruit. And then from then on out, from that promise, God, God promises, don't worry, I will bring a seed. Now we're in this covenant of grace that kind of encompasses everything after that. God's bringing about this promise. And we see in Isaiah 53, well, actually, we see already in Noah, Noah found favor. So we see a glimpse of that promise. And he found favor at Hebrews 11. Again, it was only through his faith in the promised seed, not by his works. Noah was just as corrupt as everybody. Without his faith, he was just as sinful, and he would have been destroyed too. 
And in Isaiah 53, even in the Old Testament, I just want to use this text because it uses that same uh, Hebrew phraseology. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the avon of us all. Again, that Hebrew phrase, punishment is to nasha avon, to God makes us carry the weight of our own iniquity and bentness. And here in this text in Isaiah, for a Hebrew reader, all of a sudden now, there is someone that will come along that God will nasha our avon on him. We all know who that is. Jesus who literally carried a cross for our sins. When we look at the cross, that is my avon upon his shoulders. Praise God for that. There is hope. But before we can understand how great that hope is, we need to know how far we had fallen. Ephesians 1 says we were dead. Dead in sin. And God dove into the depths of the ocean, brought us back out a corpse, and he breathed breath into our lungs. What a great God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done. You promised someone who would fix the problem from the very beginning, and we can trust in that promise. Thank you. Father, we are so sorry for our sin, and we ask that you would Forgive us continually every day. We need new, your grace. We need forgiveness. We know it's ours by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. Help us to rejoice today in his glorious truth. In Jesus' name I pray.